Welcome to Savage Starlight, the officially unofficial podcast for The Last of Us on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking season one, episode six, Kin. Aaron, what'd you think of this episode after multiple watches? Um, I, you know, I liked the episode quite a bit when I first watched it. Um, I've watched it a couple times since then. I feel like I like it a little bit more. Um, I think also there's a lot of you know, kind of deep cuts that they put in here in terms of character notes, in terms of, uh, um, you know, world building that I got a lot out, out of after I watched the, or listened to the official podcast and watched the episode again. Um, yeah, I, I really like it. I think, uh, we talked last week about the necess- necessity sometimes at the game when it, uh, you know, throws a real banger action sequence at you for, it usually paces it out. So where the, you know, uh, the 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 next time you rejoin Joel and Ellie in the action, they're just kind of walking through a fairly tranquil, peaceful, you know, to give you time to process it as well as the the characters. And I feel like this episode was that little interim sequence where it's bridges to what's going to be, you know, two pretty intense set pieces, it seems, uh, with lots of drama, lots of personal stakes with this episode, which is entirely based on the relationship of of Joel and Ellie and whether they're going to finally well I guess whether Joel is finally going to be able to trust himself trust Ellie mm-hmm. uh learn to to fully love and commit again um or whether I, he's I, just I, dead <laughs> like you know, whether he's sure. failed her for the final time you know it's whew, rough and and I still really like the post apocalyptic living. You know, I like the commune lifestyle. Um, I thought that was like you know getting to see Jackson was 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 a real treat. Uh, what about you, Jim? Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, I like it better the second time around. I got more of the the nuance and the things that they were trying to do um, emotionally with Joel here, and uh, yeah, it worked really well for me. It's it's okay that this is a slower episode. That there's not a single infected in the entire episode. I, I think that's fine. I've never had a huge problem with that in this show. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And and it is ending on a big cliffhanger. I typically... I typically don't like cliffhangers like these um, because it's not a what next kind of cliffhanger. It's a what happened kind of cliffhanger. You know, is Joel dead? Isn't he dead? How is that going to affect Ellie? I'd like to know the outcome of that, so I know how that affects Ellie, uh, or, or doesn't if he lives. You know, it's I, I don't know. Um, those cliffhangers usually don't do it for me, but I feel like I'm willing to forgive that in this show because it's been so good up to now. There's a debate among the online critic community, it seems, about whether this actually qualifies as a true cliffhanger because, you know, a cliffhanger is kind of like, will someone or won't someone die or get out of a situation? Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas this was more of like, you know, how is Ellie going to react to the situation, which is the kind of, you know, those are the the cliffhangers we like, you know, the ones that are Uh just like, oh, God, something just happened now. Now what is going to be the response? I obviously I think it's a cliffhanger. It's intended to be a cliffhanger. Yeah, pretty obviously. Um, you know, Joel is could potentially be mortally wounded. Any wound to the torso in this society could be a fatal wound. They are five days ride from any assistance. You know, if this happened right outside the gates of Jackson, you just wheel around, they probably have penicillin or you know, this certainly'd be easier sure. to be treated, but like they are no. Ellie, she is utterly alone. 
and mm-hmm. you know the in whole hostile is, territory yeah and the whole episode has told us that she can't do this without him she doesn't yeah. think she can do you know ellie thinks she can do anything but she doesn't think she can get herself safely to the firefly medical research compound without joel and she's probably right on that so is it a is Maybe, it a cliffhanger I mean- I don't know. Yeah, it's certainly a cliffhanger. Uh, I think there's a big opportunity for growth here for Ellie, regardless of what happens with Joel, right? Because um, clearly, if he lives, he's in no state to take care of himself. If he dies, he's abandoned her and yeah. she's completely alone. So, like, she's going to have to level up in some kind of way, right, to get through this. Uh, and, yeah, I'm super excited to see how they play that next episode. Yeah, and that, you know, I will say that when I was playing the game the first time through, I felt like it wasn't a foregone conclusion that Ellie and Joel would make it through the end of the story. Sure. Um, yeah. And when you're watching this TV show, I think that uh, there's a lot of death. This is a lot of this is a really realistic universe. And I think that's got to be on your mind that literally no one is safe in the Last of Us universe. Um. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're getting to the towards the end, the end of the, the series and a potential arc, you know, obviously an arc is Joel and Ellie can learn to, to love each other as a surrogate father and daughter and find a way in the world. But part of it is could be a coming of age Ellie story where she has to grow and stretch, uh, you know, like like an anti Joel, like, you know, Joel is forged in the fires of Sarah dying. It could possibly be that Ellie's going to be forged in the fires of uh uh, her surrogate father dying before the end of this thing. So it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like some people are saying a schmuck bait and a schmuck bait is like in the middle of star Trek season three, when Picard crashes on a planet with Wesley and he's dying of thirst. And Oh my God, is Catherine mm-hmm. Picard going to die on his random ass episode <laughs> where he's delivering Wesley Starfleet? That schmuck bait. Yeah. Joel could fucking die. Uh huh. You know? Uh, so it's like, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's kind of damning it, but saying it's, Oh, it's a cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger. But yeah, I, I can, it sounds like you, you've come down on the same side with me, just with way less words. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm I'm with you there. Uh, and yeah, the, the, so much of this episode is so good, uh, and I'm excited to get to talking about it. So why don't we get into the rehab? Let's do it. All right, we start off uh, seeing Henry kill himself again. That was not fun. Uh, but three months later, now it's winter. Joel and Ellie hold a couple of people at gunpoint and demand to know where they are. And if they've seen Tommy or the Fireflies, they haven't, but they show them their location on the map, warning them not to go west to the River of Death. But that's exactly where they've got to go. When they leave, Joel has the beginnings of a panic attack, but it it subsides. Yeah, I... I... Put a big smile on my face, a scene, and I loved it uh, even more. This the the subsequent uh, trips through to see Graham Greene and Elaine or Elaine Miles, uh, this like old elderly couple, completely content with this lifestyle, um, have been living this lifestyle since before Joel was born. Which I don't know about that, but <laughs> uh-huh. but but yeah, for for a long time, right? You know, that's yep. just him saying like, "Look, whippersnapper," and just how un I don't know whether they they have the measure of Joel and Ellie. I guess it's hard to put a gun on someone when you've already know that they've sat and had a bowl of soup with your wife, maybe, and mm-hmm. to take him seriously as like a real bandito. But I, yeah, I, I just, I just love the way they played. This is like, like, like an old couple kind of amused that something is happening in their life more than, Oh my God, we're going to die here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. 
uh their interactions are a lot of fun i i love this old, i love both of their demeanors here but this old man just being like his wife's like ah they didn't hurt me is like i have eyes <laughs> and then he, he asked joel asked like have you seen my brother and he's like i don't no i haven't joel's like i haven't told you what he looks like does he look like you <laughs> yeah well i haven't seen him <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen anyone that doesn't look like this woman for 30 years, kid. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and this is like there's so much on when I was seeing it for because like um, there's a lot of crosstalk and I, I there's a lot of like really subtle ironies. Like when she says that she they haven't hurt me, by the way, it's like I've got eyes. She's like trying if he, if he was a little bit more observant, he wouldn't have been surprised that Joel's holding her at gunpoint because she was like telling her with her eyes uh-huh. that there's something over there. He completely. So that was really funny. And then the whole, did you make him soup? But she's like, yeah, it's cold out. <laughs> it's just <laughs> yeah. really funny. And then Take when Bella comes down, mm-hmm. Bella comes down all three, three parts piss to two parts vinegar and you know she's like using her mouth and uh graham green's like holy like <laughs> who's this little psycho yeah yeah it's so it's uh it's so funny and just like you know like you better point this out on a map and you better and he's like looks at his life like did you tell him the truth are you telling me the truth it's just this show doesn't have very many laughs this is mm-hmm. uh some vaudeville shit here yeah usually it's just ellie and it's it's nice to see some other personality telling some jokes here um yeah, the, the other thing I noticed, like right off the right off the bat, here is animals are apparently not affected by the cordyceps. We've got rabbits that you can hunt; uh, they're still out there, uninfected, seemingly. It, you think that's because they typically run higher temperatures than humans do? It's a lot of things. Like it's very rare to see mm-hmm. a parasite that is adapted to parasite more than like. You know, like they, they usually specialize like it's not just like yeah. uh, it's not just like a fish. It's like a, a certain species of fish that's in this location. It's this temperature range mm-hmm. because, you know, it's um it's an arms race, like uh, evading the lethal environment that is the inside of a vertebrate organism with their uh, active, heal, you know, active immune system and whatnot is 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 tough so it's usually if you can do it once it's not like something you just do again and again and again or you evolve to the point where you, now you're dependent on this new prey species. So, no, mm-hmm. I, I think it makes a lot of sense that this cordyceps only affects humans and would have a hard time infecting even primates. And I think that um, like the, the monkeys are there for that, right? Uh-huh. You know, like there's no cordyceps monkeys. Uh, maybe we need to see like a, cord- like a gorilla to make sure that there are a chimpanzee or bonobo. Bonobo? I can't. I, I don't, don't know how those monkeys I, are pronounced. Those apes yeah. are pronounced. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, like this suggests that like you can, you know, it's it's pretty specific to the species. Uh, how about this panic attack that Joel's having? I guess my my question is, why now? Um, he says, you know, it's the cold air. It's definitely not the cold air. Uh, what what do you think is going on with Joel here? Why why is his panic attack stuff manifesting now? He's getting close. He's getting close to someone like, you know, there's this. Um, so I've had panic attacks. And the first time I had one is my late 20s. I was working at this very stressful job and I was working like 75 hour weeks and it was coming up on Christmas break. And my company, this consulting company, always shut down for a week between Christmas. And I was just like, I, was just, I could just I could, if I could just hold on, if I could just fucking hold on to this break. I'll be fine. And I was fine. I had a great vacation the night before I had went back to work. I had my first ever 
panic attack. And mm. a lot of times this stuff happens like where you get a chance to kind of chill for a minute and your your brain your body and brain who has been this white knuckling existence finally says fuck thank god i can let go and then that's when the 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 psychological the ramifications of the psychological damage you've been taking uh, appear so i think Mm -hmm. joel has no choice but to keep going when it's him and ellie but he's getting close Mm -hmm. to tommy and his body and mind are probably even subconsciously aware that like this is a chance that we can let Ellie go. We can, we can, I, I can give her to someone that I trust and who's not a nun, just I trust. He's better than me. He's, he's just me only younger and stronger. And like, I, I think that's why the panic attacks are happening. He's getting to that point where his body and mind knows he can relax and it doesn't have to sustain him anymore. I think. Yeah. That uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'd also say he's failed her many times at this point. Um, and those have kind of stacked up on him. Right. You gotta, you gotta is, imagine like, the first time he failed her, he's like, ah, that's a fluke, you know, we'll be fine. And then the yeah. second time it happens, ah, okay, well, that kid almost killed me. Uh, the third time it's going to happen here might be a little more severe. I think that's a possible answer. I think the three months later of it all uh, suggests that they've had a fairly uneventful Mm. last three months so like it's got to be stacking with something else because the game does that too oh, yeah, like yeah. you you know it's it's not like ellie and joel's cross-country trip is beset by perils all the time it's right you, you, you in the game you only join ellie and joel before some shit's about to happen right but you'll have months go by where it's it's relatively peaceful and they just have to do basic survival stuff stay warm stay dry stay fed um so like yeah it's it's definitely the failures that he's experienced thus far are feeding into the stress and you know like i said his body mind white knuckling the situation but for sure yeah it does feel like the pre the, the subconsciously the pressure just might be letting off a little bit as he's as he's getting but he, he also he has no idea if he's found tommy or not so like maybe not yeah i mean he he's got to know he's close though um looking at those maps Right. And know. even even if subconsciously he doesn't know you can relax pretty soon, there's also like it's not like your mind and body can white knuckle existence forever. Like sure. you, you know, like uh, uh, eventually you'll snap. Right. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I just know that in my case, it seems like it's well attested to that. If you have it's paradoxically, you have a period of kind of peace and quiet that can bring on a panic attack that you've been suppressing for a long, long time. Now's the time to endure and survive. We'll be back with more Savage Starlight. Just so we're clear about back there, it was either us or the ad. Welcome back to more Savage Starlight. All right, let's uh, go to Ellie and Joel setting out to cross the river of death. They camp for the night. Uh, Ellie tries some booze again, I guess, which she hates. Ellie asks what's next for them after the fireflies make a cure for her blood from her blood. Joel wants to live alone on a sheep ranch. Ellie wants to go to the moon. Ellie wonders if the fireflies will really be able to create a cure. And Joel believes they will because Marlene does. And then Joel decides, I'm going to take both watches tonight. That's the other thing that I bet has really contributed to this is Joel is not getting any sleep. I mean, if you look at like all the scenes where they've been driving, um, all the implied watches that he's probably been taking because he refuses for some reason to teach Ellie to do more and to trust Ellie to do more. And obviously I know what that reason is. He's scared for her. But like, boy, he is taking a lot on himself and depriving himself of sleep and food. We've seen it time and time again. Like he is physically very run down as well. And that does not help. 
Yeah, and he looks like it. I, I feel like uh, Pedro's starting to look a little frayed at the ends here. You uh-huh. know, with his shaggy haircut. Uh, his boots. Looks like his boots are useless. boots, a little bit more lines in his face. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I love this sequence. I love the Fire Knight chat. I thought that the way they shot this is, is gorgeous. Uh, them just talking about their hopes and dreams. Um, this is something that Neil pointed out in the official podcast that as he grew closer to the characters of Joel and Ellie, and also as he worked with Ashley Johnson and um, uh, uh, God Nolan Nolan North, Troy Baker, Troy Baker, yeah, it's, it's yeah, not, okay. not him, the other guy. <laughs> yeah, right, the two big ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got closer to Troy Baker. He found that he kept on giving Ellie and Joel character beats that were personal to the actors portraying them like ashley johnson is like an unabashed space enthusiast so he started writing little things about like ellie has become fascinated in the post-apocalypse about space uh uh um, troy is i guess a accomplished guitarist and singer and so he's like oh joel that's when in the quiet moments like that's kind of something that he's always kind of fantasized about and i'll give him that i thought that was really cool that you know, each each of the people portraying Joel has kind of like give or, you know, the characters in The Last of Us kind of, you know, not just embody them, but but there's like a, a two way flow uh, to that, which I thought was really cool. And the line, you know, you know, but but you know who my favorite is? Sally Ride. Sally fucking <laughs> ride. <laughs> it is a great astronaut name. She's right. It is a great astronaut name, uh, and I just, yeah, the fact that, of course, Ellie would gravitate to the first female astronaut, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, just, I just thought that was great. And the fact that Joel, who probably only knows one female astronaut's name, uh, <laughs> sure. it just, yeah. just just threw it out there, Sally, Sally Ride, it's great. Yeah. Oh, especially in 2003? Mm, yeah. Right. You're, you're going to know a lot fewer uh, female astronaut names. Uh, yeah, no, I, I like it. And I like the reason they give for Ellie, you know, wanting to go to the moon or space or whatever. It's cause she's been trapped for so long, right? This is like an, the idea of escape, um, exploration, uh, that kind of thing. She's only been able to look up for anything interesting. Yeah. And I just agree. Yeah. Like grow up to QZ, you got your, they're in Boston, mm-hmm. you got the back to the ocean in front of you as a wall. Where else do you look up as a kid? But uh, where else do you look up as a kid than up? Where else yeah. do you look up as a kid than up? Where else do you <laughs> well, look you as a kid than up? up? Is I think what I was trying to say there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and Joel, uh, do, do, yeah. do you think that Joel's sheep dream is like sincere? Was like he just? <laughs> well, this is his way of saying shut up and go to sleep, kid. Right. <laughs> but also, was... maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Because like he's I like he, I just think he's like a giant a sheep sheep ranch too true uh i got i got the opinion that like when he's like to a ranchy he had a clear idea like yeah i want to be there but then he's kind of like trying to find like what this ranch would be doing it's like what kind of uh, what kind of mm-hmm. physical labor could a single guy handle a uh, cat no there's no fucking way you know like uh sheep yeah there you go sheep chicken nah, that's chicken's not hard enough rabbits nah sheep that's where it's at yeah well he should go back to that shack and pick up those two old goats he can start his ranch with them (laughs) uh all right let's move on to the next part of this scene and a couple others uh joel falls asleep again so apparently ellie took the second watch joel and ellie cross the bridge over the river of death with a lot of tense music but completely without incident 
Uh, Ellie tries to learn how to whistle. She wants to be taught how to hunt. And finally, they reach a hydro power station. I guess we'll stop there for a second. I didn't get this in the first time I watched it because, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just watched it the first time and I didn't hear it. But like they, they do show that Joel is kind of having these nightmares. They're suggesting that he's having this uneasy sleep. Um, mm-hmm. Nice, not getting much of it, but the, the, the little sleep he has is, is fitful. Um, I thought that that was was great. That like just watching Pedro do simple exercises like a man that wakes up doesn't realize where he's at then has a sudden panic attack of where he is and what time it is and what could be happening and like he's just really good at doing all that stuff and then he snaps awake and then ellie's standing there like a boss with the rifle you know hey i'm keeping watch just like you taught me to uh uh-huh. yeah she's very capable um you know but joel can't he probably sees that he just can't let himself rely on it right because he's supposed to be protecting her yeah, and that's the other thing is like um, Ellie's a little bit hurt that he doesn't acknowledge her competency. Mm-hmm. But and even like Joel's kind of like, you know, really grunt, like comes across really grumpy. I interpret that as like Joel is disappointed and mad at himself. Yep. And he's not skilled enough to uh, like, you know, keep that emotion from showing through to the child he's with. So it's like, you know, and, she, and she's, of course, interpreting that as like he's angry with her that he's dis- she disobeyed again. But I think it's really more upset with himself for being, you know, weak for needing to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And of course, she can't see it for what it is. Right. I mean, he's given her no insight into himself, into what he's thinking or feeling. So how could right. she think, oh, this man thinks he's failing me at every turn so much so that I love, I love how they describe it later in the episode. He's failing in his sleep. He doesn't mm. r- remember, uh, specifics, but he just wakes up with a sense of loss. Yeah. Uh, and some of that's probably tied up in Sarah, but a lot of that now is tied up in this mission with Ellie. Yeah. Um, cause he already wasn't sleeping great before the Ellie stuff. Uh, I think he was, haunted by the Sarah stuff, and now this is just stacking up on top of that, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And this is exactly how Henry got the drop on them. If Henry hadn't been a friend, if Henry had been an enemy, uh, they could both be dead right now. Uh, but because Joel keeps failing, uh, his his whole goal here was to stay awake through the night, and he didn't. So that's rough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's got to be it's it's man, it's it's got to be hard to put this many impossible standards on yourself. But also, what else are you going to do? Can you really can you really trust a 14 year old uh, of any stripe to kind of keep watch? But then again, you know, right. like he can't trust himself either. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and that's I mean, it's also like you, you mentioned about how closed off he was. That's what I um mm-hmm. It's wild that three to four months into their journey together, think about all the downtime, all the travel time, all the long, like, you know, all the time they could have been talking and the way Ellie talks, probably a lot of that. And Joel has never even told her about his daughter. Yeah. Like she truly doesn't even know square one to this guy. I think that's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like to us, we've only been watching the show six hours, but you know, there's been a lot of time passed. I thought that was um, a great way for the show to, to, to this, this, this show did feel like the, 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 uh, the pivot, you know, like where Joel does finally come around and like uh, all of his secrets are laid bare and he finally can kind of like be open and honest with Ellie and, and vice versa. Like it's a huge change between how they react at the end of the episode versus how they react in the beginning. 
Yeah, I wonder how the conversations are going to change in the future as a result of this. As a result of the knowledge that she now has about Sarah, um, the the fear that he's made known to her, I think, through his actions this episode. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious to see what next episode, if Joel survives, would look like for them. Uh, right let's. I got one big question for you here that I didn't understand. So they come to the river of death and there's a bridge. They take a shot. They fire off around from the Joel's rifle to do something. And I don't understand it because in my mind, the last thing you want to do is announce your presence at this junction. Yeah. What are they trying to accomplish with that? I think it's, they had not fully committed to crossing the river of death. Um, Mm -hmm. They're still at the edge of a tree line on the other side of the river Valley. And Joel's thought process is if I take a shot and there's like, you know, in uh, a bunch of infected, I can get, or if I take a shot and there's like, you know, I draw fire, I'm far enough that they're probably not going to be able to hit me. Of course he doesn't know that Tommy's out there with his fucking sub MOA rifle. Uh, uh-huh. you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I think that's what it is. It does. It did strike me as dumb. It did strike me as a little dumb. Yeah, I would, I would, if I felt like I had to cross that bridge, I would just try and sneak through unannounced, not right. announce my presence and then cross it. If right. anything, I would announce my presence, leave the location and go cross somewhere else. If I knew there was another crossing, but like, is there also the implication that Joel doesn't quite know that they've crossed a river of death because like I think that there was like in the scene that uh, before uh-huh. they write up on him like Ellie's like do you think that was a river of death and he like kind of like concernedly starts looking at the map right before they ride up on him so maybe yeah. it's like he doesn't know like he, he's he's kind of got because look I don't think Joel is a great orienteer uh, <laughs> apparently he, like, like, like Graham Green said how do you get lost if you have a map you know uh-huh. uh he so so I, I don't think he's great and and he's clearly crossed the river of death without meaning to I think he meant to go around it uh-huh. so maybe that's why the gunfire too is he didn't know that there was like extreme danger okay yeah there there have been a few things in this show that have puzzled me like this and that was one of them so just curious uh, do you know how hydro power stations work because I don't <laughs> I, mean, I know there's some kind of like magnetic induction that. There you go. From water it's wheels and mag- shit. Magnets, yeah. if you move them over copper wire, induces electron flow. And if you put a paddle wheel with with magnets around the axle and you turn mm-hmm. it, and it's, it's gonna, the wire's going to turn it inside the magnets and boom, magic electricity. And, and, and you got the, the copper wire wound. I Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you the science of it, but I know I couldn't tell you the science involved. of keeping one of these things running, too, in the apocalypse. No. You know? uh, what, like, this thing, the turbine eventually... Although they do last forever, like the Hoover Dam's been generating energy and power for like seventy years now. Um, But like, yeah, you got to wonder like what happens at the end of this thing's lifespan if they have this huge community built on, and you know, like what what does the fall of Jackson look like? Yeah, I hope people are reading up, doing experiments on alternative energy sources because it's got it. Like this seems like a type of community that would like, hey, Mm -hmm. we have to use these boom times. Why we still have power to prepare for the times after when we're not going to if we want to. But I don't know. There seems they're more concerned about bacon and whiskey, but (laughs) 
I would honestly love to see a three or four season episode a show just set in like this Jackson, Wyoming. Cause I, I've always felt like I've gotten screwed out of like post-apocalyptic zombie living. Like I really was hoping that the the walking dead would get there and, and then they did kind of, but man, I just think it's, I think that's, this is a really cool hook. Like since you could do any Western, any frontier town, except for now there's zombies. Still got raiders. You still got hostile people. You still got innocent villagers and townsfolk needing help. And you also got zombies like it's bonanza. Yeah. Only zombies. What? I, why, why can't that work? Why can't we do? Hmm. Why can't we do a television series? I would love to see this here. Here's an idea. Uh, discover. Call me or something. Uh, let's let's do so many people love these survival crafting video games. I want to yes. see a survival crafting TV show where like they set up an abandoned town full of mm. things that people can scavenge. They give like 20 people uh, a, a plot of land with maybe a, a bit of shelter on it or something to start. And they say, create a functioning society out of this. We're going to give you four seasons, five seasons, whatever, five, mm. five years to do it. What could they come up with in five years? How far along that progress tree, that tech tree could they get given that much time? Cause you got a little bit of big brother, you know, all uh-huh. these desperate uh-huh. people working together, together. Working yep. together. You've got a little bit of, yeah. Cause like he's, he, uh, there is a show on that geo called alone where I think they take 12 survivalists each season and they drop them off on some remote desert Island or, Oh, there's a ton of like Olympic naked Peninsula, and afraid, right? There's and, like and tons of those. The, yeah, shows. yeah. Yeah. But they're not focused uh, around like rebuilding a society. They're focused right. around like hunt a rabbit and, and skin it and use it as boots or something. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, 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 what yeah. can we do it's, with like scavenged parts from a dead society? Survive and, for a week, knowledge. not re rekindle society. That would right, be kind of right. cool. I would watch it. All right. Get on it. Get on Disco Max. Come on. (laughs) Yep. They come across another river, and Ellie wonders, oh, maybe that's the river of death. And just then, a bunch of people on horseback surround them. Uh, They have what I'm going to call a truffle-sniffing dog, because I think it's funny, Uh, trying to sniff out any infection in them. Ellie somehow passes the test. Don't ask me how. I guess the dog just can't smell that well. Joel mentions that he's looking for his brother, which prompts one of the people to ask his name. Why can't the dog smell her infection? Just not as sensitive as the sensors that the QZ has? I don't know, man. I Because there's two possibilities. One, that the dog is maybe more sensitive and that it can detect an active infection versus a latent infection. Okay. The other thing that I... Um, the other theory that I, I think I came up with this is an instant take that I kind of like is that um, Ellie's not act like if Ellie would be scanned by Fedra scanner right now, she'd show up as non-affected because it's been many months since the last bite. There are no active cordyceps. Possibly. We, we don't really cells know right? in her body. Yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm just speculating like okay, what could okay, cause it to yeah. fail is that. Yeah. Like it's it's possible that she just no longer is even passively infected. Sure. You know, like her body is completely just shut off. that shit down and just scar tissue now. So I mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, this is a detail that was not in the video games. So yeah, no, uh, I I don't know if they need to spell that out anymore. I think it's fine yeah. to to just leave some of that ambiguous. But or I the was other thing is, um, uh, the other thing is like I guess. 
there's this idea that um, there's, you know, like uh, with COVID tests, like a lot of times COVID tests for antibodies, which is the, you know, like the, the evidence that you used to have an infection, not that you're mm-hmm. currently infected. Right. And uh, the dogs might essentially, you know, or the, 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 the scanners might detect those antibodies that said that you have been infected or you were infected versus the dog only cares about whether you are infected. I don't know. Yes. But uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it'll, if it'll if it'll if it'll it'll if it'll play into the the season later on. These breadcrumbs. We'll have to see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, so they all ride back to the gated town of Jackson, where Joel is reunited with Tommy. Uh, here we go. I'm excited to see this. I, I'm excited to see Tommy still working construction. He's doing what he does best. It's a contractor. Uh, <laughs> It's a goddamn contractor. <laughs> uh, it, this is such a good scene. It's all like really subtle work here with just looks and stuff, but there's so much going on in this scene beyond just the joy of being reunited with the, the two brothers being reunited. There's mm-hmm. a lot of tension in that moment, especially if you look over at Ellie and Tommy and Joel reunited is a little bit threatening to her. Uh, it's a little bit scary for her, and you can see it on her face at the very end of this scene. And Ellie picks up on it, which is why she doesn't. I, I think that's one of the barriers that kind of she doesn't really t- t- take a shine to Maria the same way she took a little bit of a shine to mm-hmm. Tess. Um, is that she realizes that she doesn't like Joel. She sees Joel as a threat. Oh, oh, and I'm I'm talking about even even for Ellie. Like this is a bit oh. of a threat, right? Because. Joel has been her oh, sole you're protector the Ellie's, whole time. Okay, I thought we were talking about Maria here. Okay. Oh wow, I didn't see that she. I mean, that's that's a possibility that the that she's clocking here. Yeah, like this could be the end of the road for her and Joel. Um, or or maybe the she sees <laughs> the other possibility here is she sees that Joel is not as emotionally shut off completely from everyone. Mm-hmm. Maybe she thinks it's just her. Maybe seeing this affection, obviously between brothers is like maybe there's a little bit of envy there um oh and also just seeing another side i mean, i always thought it was fun when my dad would hang out with his brother because like you get to see a side of like you did you, right. you know you, you you never even get to really see a hint of your father um or at least mine mine anyway yeah uh, so i thought that was kind of because i i I think this scene is pretty heartwarming for what it is. Like uh, the obvious delight the brothers have in hugging each other, the ridiculousness of what the fuck are you doing here? I came, you know, Tommy's like hanging a Christmas tree and shit. And Joel's like, I came here to save you. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just, and they laugh because it's so fucking hilarious. Like he's thinking that, you know, he's out here with Raiders or worse and he's wrapping Christmas presents and stringing the tree. Like it's, it's just patently absurd. And there's this this issue that's hanging in the air that, you know, when you see the conditions that Tommy's living in and they're great, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And you think, why did Joel get into this? Well, he got into this whole thing because he thought his brother was in danger. And the overriding emotion here is relief and joy, right? Seeing Tommy again. And Joel's not thinking about boy, what a what a fucked up thing this is that I traveled across the entire country and here's my brother just living the life of luxury compared to me. Uh, it'll come back and, and we'll see him, you know, really start to feel that later in the episode. But right now, it's there for us as an audience and we see it. 
Uh, but Joel's ignoring it because of how happy he is to be reunited. Mm. Uh, I noticed a co- there's a couple of things that I want to talk about. There's um, like when they're riding up to the gates, one of the riders is return uh, flying a red handkerchief. And they've clearly mm-hmm. got some kind of signal system. So like, you know, if they weren't flying any flag, maybe that's a sign that there's hostile or if they got a red flag, they got strangers. So make sure there's armed security. I, I like that. But like. I thought sure that they would have Joel and Ellie on the back of their horses, but Joel and Ellie actually right. have horses, implying that they just bring spare horses in case they round up strangers. Or yeah, I didn't rewind. Or did as they the did they lose two people on this ride? You know, like, <laughs> maybe yeah. And and they left the, them back there. We'll come get you. And the two towers where the Rohirrim are like, oh yeah, we had. Yeah, these two guys die. I hope their horses uh, carry you better than the, than they did. Uh, or it's an always sunny. I'll come back for you. You know. Uh, yeah, I I was looking to see as the scene was playing out if there were two other people on the backs of horses, but I don't know why but they why wouldn't would make you, them ride. First of all, yeah. it's not, it's not easy to ride a horse at full gallop. Sure, I don't think so anyway. Uh, I think it's wild that uh-huh. you put a 14 or a girl who's probably never seen a horse in her life yeah. on the back of this horse and just like, hang on, you know, and she's like riding at you like with her back straight and her, I, I just, yeah, like it seems crazy that you would double up your own people so the newcomers can have their own horse when the newcomers might even not know how to fucking ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. That was, that was a little <laughs> surprising to see Joel on his own horse. Just have emergency spare horses, just uh, pull it out of their side saddlebags and boom. Yeah. If you can, you might as well. All right, Ellie and Joel eat, and then Ellie yells at someone who's staring at her. We find out that Jackson has been leaving bodies of, I don't know, bad people, I guess, around for others to find, to build a reputation as a place where you want to stay away from. Tommy also tells Joel that Maria is his wife now. And boy, (laughs) she gets a dirty look from Joel. Joel's not into this. Yeah, Joel played finding out about Tommy getting married the same way he played Henry holding a gun to him. Yeah, uh-huh. everything's going to be fine. <laughs> I'm relaxed. It's <laughs> Yeah. That's pretty much his demeanor for like the next 20 minutes of this episode. <laughs> yeah. And this the the their their odd couple routine here where Joel's just being aggressively polite, you know, like he's uh-huh. using all of the pro- proper mamming, mamming Maria, uh, uh, for every, every chance he gets. And Ellie is like literally the bad, the, the, you know, the bad girl, your mom and dad warned you about. She's got a pack of cigarettes rolled up in her sleeve. She's got <laughs> tattoos and uh-huh, an uh-huh. eye patch and a facial scar being like, oh, wait, wait until I get a couple days with your goody two shoe kids watching Richard Dreyfus movies in their comfort with their popcorn. I'm going <laughs> to teach them to fuck and swear and drink, you know, uh-huh. it's just so funny. The contrast between them. Yeah, it's great. Uh, we get to find out, or I really wanted to know at this point why Tommy didn't get back to Joel on the radio. It was like the primary thing in my mind, right? I I see what's going on here, and I'm like, why didn't he radio him? And we'll find out here in a bit. Um, but Tommy is looking across the table at Ellie for half of this scene, mm-hmm. and not because Ellie's the one speaking, but because I think he's trying to assess the relationship here. You know, he's thinking about Sarah too. Yes. And he sees this young girl with Joel and he's like, he's probably like, how has my brother changed in these last few years or whenever Tommy left? Um, 
because he's now showing up with someone that would be very strange uh, for Joel to have in his company, yeah. given everything he's been through. Yeah, I. it's like it's also got to be seen like going through a time machine like you haven't seen your brother in God knows how long and he shows up and it's like 20 years flash. You know, he's got a, a girl exactly the same age as Sarah was when she died. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, it's not like Tommy's forgotten that. I mean, he's got a whole shrine to Sarah. Yeah. Um, and and then we find out in the episode that was his idea. It wasn't like uh, mm-hmm. Maria's like, oh, I miss my kids. Oh, I, I kind of had a kid, too. Uh, it was it was his idea from the jump. So. Yeah, I, I could see it staring. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, let's move over to Tommy and Maria giving Joel and Ellie a tour of the community. They have plenty of amenities, uh, including power from the hydro station. It's a commune, and they're communists. Joel and Ellie get to get a house to stay in. Um, yeah, there's it's the town tour. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, the I they answered a lot of questions when I watched it a second time because I was kind of raised my eyebrows. You know, I, I mentioned like, how do you take like, you know, you got a six people and then you go to 300 people and you get the dam going like there's so many things that could go wrong. They mentioned that like this was a gated community already. So it's like, yeah. you know, a lot of the heavy lifting was done and that instant protection from risk. So it's like they kind of found their own abandoned Alexandria from The Walking Dead and they mm-hmm. had a jump start on all that. Someone had already put up the cold rolled steel walls and yeah. and they just had to kind of like, you know, I mean, again, I, I can't undersell the what an enormous undertaking it must have been to get the hydro dams working. Uh, sure. And that's a detail that they have in the game. Like in the uh-huh. game, you never go to Jackson in The Last of Us Part One. You are on you 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 find Tommy at the dam, and they're actually currently work. Like that's the project mm-hmm. they're doing is trying to resurrect this thing. They've got a couple of college people, a college degree, and an engineer or two, and they've been. This has been a this has been like their Manhattan project, and they're on the cusp of getting it turned over. Um, yeah, I so, was kind of expecting an action scene in this episode because of that portion of the game, but and that's the thing. It's like every that. chapter in the game is going to have a big action scene. And they mentioned on the podcast mm-hmm. that like they worry about audience fatigue that like you can, you know, if the violence and action, because someone said this on the podcast, uh, the instant, the instant talk, it's like, I, you know, it's a great episode, but I still wish they could throw a clicker or an effect something just to kind of keep that pulse going. And I think their instincts as showrunners is good that instead of doing that, they're like and 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 worrying about the uh, in fact, attacks no longer being shocking or frightening or whatever. It's like, you know, have a couple episodes where you don't see any danger so that. Mm hmm when it does happen, it still has that fresh impact. You don't want people to come desensitized to it. Cause yeah, for sure, sure that happens in the walking dead, you're 11 seasons in and you know, you just, it's, it's dumb when people die to single zombies or even like a small group. It's like, why would they, uh, yeah. we're here. It's, it's a lot scarier. Yeah. I mean the, the walking dead felt like it was primarily a zombie show. And so they felt they needed to get a zombie in every single week they'd fail if they didn't this is not primarily a show about the infected right uh there's a couple of good looks and lines here in this scene um as we're touring the town joel kind of asks you know how to keep this place safe or secret or whatever and and maria says something about well partially we stay off the radio uh and tommy gives this guilty look 
over. Like, he kind of looks back sheepishly at Joel, and Joel kind of like, mm-hmm, we're going to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fucking so, so yeah, commies now, staying off the radio. Yeah, now now it's starting to kick in, right? Like, oh, yeah, I'm here for I'm here because of a thing, and we need to resolve this because it is not what I expected. Uh, there's another part of this scene at the very end where... I get the the feeling that Joel feels kind of inferior to his brother, and may, maybe all, all of these crazy ideas Tommy has had um, about the ways to live his life, right? Going off and, and joining the military, and then leaving the military, and joining the Fireflies, leaving the Fireflies. I I think Joel's kind of surprised and a little dismayed that Tommy has somehow landed in this very nice life that he has not been able to find and and maybe a little resentful because he feels like he's given him that opportunity and not had it for himself because at the end of this like ellie when they mention oh yeah we've got these houses over here that you can stay in and ellie's like gotta be better than the shitholes we've been staying in and joel's like we've been doing fine like staring daggers at her uh yeah i get the feeling that he's like angry almost angry at Tommy or resentful of Tommy for finding this better life. Yeah, I definitely think there's that. I think there's also an element of, you know, Joel is admitting to his weaknesses in this episode and like, but maybe he thinks that he's done pretty good. Like maybe Ellie doesn't understand that. Like he's, but like when Ellie's like, Oh yeah, we've had a really rough go of it. That kind of like, triggers his his failures one thing for him to beat himself mm-hmm. up for someone else to be like oh yeah you kind of fuck up from here and and we haven't we haven't been doing yeah, so well that, yes exactly exactly yeah he realizes she's right <laughs> i don't know uh then we're gonna go to another real good scene here where joel and tommy go to the town bar to catch up tommy asks about the kid joel says he was paid to take her to the fireflies and asks where they are Uh, Apparently, they have a base over at the University of Eastern Colorado, uh, which is about a week's ride south. He asked Tommy to come with him, but Tommy turns him down, and it leads to a discussion about the things they had to do to survive, why Tommy didn't radio him back. Uh, Apparently, it's because he's going to be a father, and he doesn't want the wrong people to find the place, which, boy, that kind of sets Joel off. He gets offended. He says, fine, I'm leaving in the morning. We'll be out of your hair. But Joel's Joel's looking for a way to he's looking for a thing to take offense because he is just dealing mm-hmm. like there's nothing. Tommy's not saying anything wrong that like I'm going mm-hmm. to be a father. I got to be more careful like Joel in normal circumstances. I'm sure would be happy for him. But he is, you know, the fact that Tommy is going to get a shot at the life that was taken from Joel. The fact yep. that Joel has gone through hell in three months, worried about his brother, and his brother is sat up here in the, the lap of fucking luxury. Um, like Joel is doing as 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 good as he can not to like put hands on Tommy and probably throttle him, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I guess we'll find out. That was they they mentioned this podcast. Like that's the best that Joel can do. You know, like Joel mm-hmm. and in his present state of emotional constipation and closed offness, like just not being a complete asshole is a struggle for him, but he manages to do it. But Tommy interprets that as hurt and he ne- you know, needles him back, you know, just because life stopped for you doesn't mean you have to stop. Now Joel's pissed and he can go. He can get the fuck out of there. Um, yeah, because it's so yeah, apparent, even from early on in this scene, like the Joel is 
trying to appear stronger than he is. Um, and, and it's down to when Tommy asks about Tess, like, how's Tess? And Joel's like, oh, she's good. She's fine. Well, Tess is dead. <laughs> like, we know that's not true. Uh, it just shows, yeah, he's... I don't know if he's not willing to admit that his life has been... I guess less than his brothers at this point because he's been stuck in this past. Right. Um, or if he's just been unfortunate and he's ashamed of that somehow. Um, but I, I don't know. I, yeah, and Joel's Joel complicated and I, I like it. That's the thing. Like Joel and Tess met a long, long time ago. They could have had mm-hmm. the life that Tommy's got. I mean, it wouldn't have been quite as how, how do you find a Jackson? Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Like, how do you find a but, Jackson? But, but he could have found sure. as, as a happiness. He had a more happy state right there in his own two arms when him and Tess were together and he kept mm-hmm. them from becoming more than what they were. True. And that's kind of probably got a wrinkle on him too. That like, you know, yeah, Tom, Tommy's able to surpass him. Tommy's yeah. able to do things yeah. that he can't do. He, he's able to move on in ways that Joel, that Joel can't. I think he's he's resentful of like the freedom that Tommy's had, right? As as somebody who never had a kid and then yeah. didn't lose a kid uh, specifically, more importantly, uh, he's not had the challenges in his life, I guess, that Joel's yeah. faced. And yeah, you know, Joel's always there's always that little baby brother thing, like oh, you don't even fucking know. But but also the fact that like uh-huh. I think Joel thinks if their positions were flipped at the very minimum, he would have gotten word out. Yeah, I'm not supposed to use the yeah, radio. Yeah. yeah, I'm not supposed to do that. Yeah, I'm not supposed to do that. But I would have found the way. goddammit. it! And the fact that you didn't um, mm-hmm. makes me almost think that you weren't even thinking of me because if you were thinking of me at all, you would have found the way. Yeah, like yeah. you not only did you move on and you got this new life, but you have left me behind. Yeah, he could have traveled a, a state away, right? He could have gone to the East Colorado University yeah. and sent a message out from there if he really wanted to. Right. There's so many things. And like the 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 bottom line is from Tommy's point of view, he didn't think he'd ever see Joel again. Mm-hmm. And that Joel would always wonder what the fuck happened to my brother. And Tommy didn't really care. Wow. Or did, that's, yeah, did, that's did, fucked did, up, right? I think I think that's what the subtext of the the scene is that, Mm -hmm. you know, I you dropped off the map and I crossed a whole fucking country to make sure you're okay, And you just you did that to me without even thinking. And it manifests as him being a real asshole, you know, when Tommy's like, Mm -hmm. "Eh, I feel like I'd be a good dad. And he's genuinely excited about this. And then Joel just shits on it. Right. I I guess we'll find out. And I don't think Tommy's thinking of all these implications either. Sure. Yeah, because I think you're right. Um, And and he's kind of losing sight of the thing that is Joel's primary motivator, which is the loss of Sarah in this moment in favor of his own new child that he's about to have. And like, you know, that Joel thought he would have this life. Joel wanted this life for himself and he didn't get it. And now seeing Tommy starting to get it is is stirring up a lot of emotions in him. Yeah, it's not fair. Yeah, it doesn't certainly doesn't seem fair. Um, yeah, and I think I talked about this in the instant take a little bit, but like in Joel's worldview, all you have to live for is protecting your family, right? Mm-hmm. And now his family doesn't need any protection. Mm-hmm. His family's good. Yeah. They're set up. He thought he had this mission. He thought his brother was in trouble. Well, I got to go protect him. That's what I'm living for now. He doesn't have Tess. He doesn't have Sarah. He doesn't have Tommy. It's kind of it for him. 
And this is also like goes back to the dichotomy of uh, Tommy being a joiner and Joel being a keep to yourself type of guy. Like Tommy's the one that wants to pull over and help the family. Joel wants to mm-hmm. preserve the family. John, uh, Tommy wants to join the army, go halfway around the world, spread democracy, save the world. Joel thinks that's stupid. Uh, Tommy has completely joined with his whole heart and mind and not look back. And Joel knows he would never do that. In, in, in Tommy's place. So mm-hmm. I, like I said, I think it's uh, it's definitely a stuff that you have to uh, surmise. Like this isn't like, you know, they don't talk about their feelings in that direct a way, but I think it's all there and it's all stuff that's compiled from previous episodes. All those times where people are complaining about, we're not getting any, I mean, well, half the stuff we're talking about happened in the bill episode that everyone said, no, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. Joel and Ellie didn't get any character development. Uh, I was going to say, now, Joel needs a Frank. That's what he needs. Those those seeds have matured and grown and and ready to be ready to be harvested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. All right, we're outside the bar. Joel starts having another panic attack, but it doesn't last long because he's distracted by someone that reminds him of Sarah. Of course, it's not her. I think he has a panic attack because he sees the Christmas tree, hears people singing uh, uh, Christmas mm-hmm. carols, and he realizes there's only seven day shopping days left until mm-hmm. Christmas, and he hasn't gotten anyone a gift. Suddenly, all right. oh, all the pre-apocalypse holiday stress comes flooding back. And what is he going to do? Is the Walmart even still open? Oh, my God. He's, he's hearing Tickle Me Elmo in his ear. He's seeing Furbies flashing oh my before God. his where, eyes. Where do I even get a Furby in the apocalypse? Oh, my God. Uh, you know what? Also, yeah. we talked about how much we would like to get a Christmas episode of this show. We got a fucking Christmas episode oh. of this show. You're right. <laughs> ever, ever, it's like it's like straight out of Whoville. You got the whole community holding hands, singing singing songs around a Christmas tree. It's fully decorated. Mm-hmm. It, actually, yeah. you're 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 making a joke about this, but I think it is partially the Christmas tree that triggers him because if you see later in the episode, he's yes. having flashbacks to a Christmas with Sarah. Because how can you not like you know right. it's like that that Sarah died right at the a, like like exiting the apex of Christmas as a parent like Christmas is so fun uh, from the moment your 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 kid is born up until they start just asking for cash and envelopes <laughs> uh, then it becomes inventing new ways to keep it kind of family friendly and fun uh, oh we'll watch Die mm-hmm. Hard instead of Rudolph and all that kind of stuff. But like, yeah. yeah, like if if you know how how could he not think about uh, the Christmas times um, in this, this situation? That's a that's a really yeah. good connection. All right, uh, Ellie showers and finds new clothes left out for her, as well as a diva cup. Which oh, we got to talk about this. Uh, she walks across the street and lets herself into Maria's empty house, where she finds a memorial to some dead kids. Maria returns, gives her a coat and a haircut. During the haircut, she lets it slip that one of those dead kids was actually Joel's daughter, Sarah. Uh, Maria shit-talks Joel, and Ellie kind of defends him. Um, And then Maria warns Ellie to be careful who she trusts and decides, we're going to the movies. All right, what do you know about Diva Cups, Aaron? Uh, Because I did a little research. No, a couple of gals that use them. I tell you what, if I was a vagina haver, I would be 100% uh, team Diva Cup. It seems cheaper for one. It's cheaper. It's less like, you know, if you're comfortable sticking your fingers inside yourself, and I'd like to think I'd be the type of person that would be, Mm -hmm. then it's like, it seems like it's the ultimate solution. It's just like piece of silicone. 
uh, or maybe latex. It's flexible. It's designed to go way up inside and like essentially hug the cervix so that all the material that comes out during the menstruation cycle gets collected in that cup. And then periodically through the day, you reach up there, you dump it out into the toilet, you rinse it out, you put it back in, and then you're good to go until the next time. Um, I would be you sterilize. You can boil them, sterilize them if you're super. But uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess like the that's first just me. I'm time. Paranoid. Yeah, the first time or two you'd use it, but it's like maybe. But like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I imagine women are laughing their asses off at that statement. But but maybe maybe you sure, do. Maybe. There's a there's a there's a chance of leakage if you don't apply it properly. This is not the research I did. I was talking about researching the company, the Diva Cup okay. company, because in our chat, I, I saw during our instant take, uh, people were chatting and being like, yeah, there's no way that this was a thing in 2003. And I, I'm thinking about it. Oh, I definitely these... hadn't heard about it in 2003. Right. Apparently, specifically, this brand, Diva Cup, was started in 2003 started in 2003 so this is like a first run interesting because i know that these minstrel cups have been around since i think the late 70s or early 80s but like d is like kind of like they're the kleenex of uh right right of feminine hygiene cups like they're they're just uh in fact i uh, didn't i mentioned diva cups on i did not know that this was an actual diva cup i you know didn't freeze frame and all that stuff i yeah, mentioned said it like, on the instructions yeah, so this is like, yeah, this is this is the Kleenex of menstrual cups and uh people who are worried yeah. about the shelf life of tampons should I guess rightfully be worried about the shelf life of the silicone. I don't know. They say 10 years. Probably, is it 10 years? I imagine yeah, the apocalypse but, you stretch that. It's like daily wear contacts, you know. Like some people Totally. Uh it always freaks me out but like, you know, people that wear the daily wears for like a month at a time, you know, so they can stretch them out, you know. But I yeah, I, I imagine yeah, what why why would a silicone cup go bad? Like unless it got brittle or it got a tear in it, like it's infinitely reusable. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's a pretty like it's not like it's a rough. It's not like you're dragging it through the desert and it's getting tear. I mean, no, it, it degrades. I mean, silicone degrades over time, but yeah, not yeah. that not that quickly. So yeah, I, I I've been inside its active environment. It doesn't seem a particularly hostile place. You know, it doesn't seem like <laughs> sure. there's a lot of thorns and thistles and fire breathing dragons, centipedes, that kind of stuff. Maybe mm-hmm. you think so, but no, it's actually kind of nice. Watch out for that fungus. We'll be right back with more Savage Starlight. We found something to fight for. This podcast. Welcome back to Savage Starlight. Uh, let me pivot over to this memorial setup. Um, so we find out. Okay, Sarah, we know was fourteen. Uh, this kid named Kevin was three. Is this Tommy's kid, or is this? just maria's kid i think maria said something in the dialogue that that was hers that she just had the one it makes a lot more sense because i yeah. did not think it had been three years since tommy left let alone mm. the yeah, almost yeah, yeah. four it would take for the kid to be three so okay that makes sense um then we go over to the town watching a movie in the theater uh ellie sees tommy leave Oh wait! Can we talk about uh, we we just talk about the diva cup for all, all the I, I want to talk about the scene with uh, Rutina Wesley and and Ellie, Maria okay. and Ellie. Um, I thought that was really great because it's something that we don't see in the video game. In the video game, we stay with Joel's perspective. Ellie goes off Maria, 
And when she comes back, she's clearly pumped Maria for information because she now she's discovered about Joel's daughter and she's got all this more. But like seeing it from Ellie's perspective and that, you know, that hostility that Maria has towards Joel, not just because he's a murderer, but because Tommy's a joiner. And traditionally, the person he's joined with most often is Joel. And mm-hmm. she's got a good thing, and like she's really worried about uh, Tommy r- running off on some damn fool idealistic crusade, which he does. Like yeah. these are all valid fears. And um, Craig and Neil talked about how, in their mind, they intended to film this as a fight. You know, like this is an action sequence and dialogue. This is two people sparring, trying to get the best <laughs> of each other. Okay, um, yeah. one that's a lot better than at it than you know. Um, we also mentioned that the timeline about Maria, who was an assistant district attorney, and it was 20 years ago, and she's got to be... So, Rutina Wesley in real life is 44. I did some research, and if you're a county assistant dis- district attorney, you can be hired right out of law school. So, it's conceivable okay. that as a 24, 25-year-old, she could have just started her job as assistant district attorney. and Because she mentioned some county. Uh, I forget what state it was. Omaha, was it in Nebraska. Omaha. So, it's like, you know, probably not a metropolis. Uh, mm-hmm. And 20 years have passed, and she's just on the out, you know, just on the... The, the waning year, uh, years of possible childbirth without complications. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty, it's, you know, it's okay. risky post 40, but like, you know, uh, she seems like she's in excellent health and et cetera. So I, it, it, it wasn't as ridiculous. Cause I thought they, they're talking about a district attorney, like the district yeah, attorney. Yeah. And I'm like, there's no fucking way, but assistant. Yeah. Hmm. In okay. Omaha. Sure. I'll buy it. Uh, you ready to go to the movie theater? Yes, I am. All right. Uh, the only thing that really happens here is we watch. I, I think we're watching the movie The Goodbye Girl, but yes. I've never seen it to verify. So, do you know? Apparently, it's about uh, a man and a woman entering a relationship, and the woman's got a child from a previous one, and a lot of it's about the child accepting the Richard Dreyfus character as her dad. And I guess the scene at the end of it, she. Um, this is the first time they are meeting, and I guess she tells the mom that this this guy would make a good dad, and ob- obvious parallels between what's going on with Ellie and and Joel here. Yeah, especially when she pulls up her sleeve and says, "I'm immune." Uh, yeah, that part. <laughs> exactly. A little uh, on the nose, but you know, yeah, a little bit. Uh, Ellie sees Tommy leave, which is important to later scenes. Um. So then we I, that's to, pretty slick how they used Joel's voiceover of Ellie walking around the town trying to find him. They don't ever because I was looking at the scene. I was like, are we going to see like Ellie with her nose pressed up against the window or something in the background? <laughs> yeah, go? yeah. But like her, they, her the walking way, down the street is enough. The way they edited it to where that's blended together. It's it's not a surprise when we find out later. Right. So let's talk about that. Uh, Tommy brings Joel a new pair of boots and apologizes for their earlier conversation. Joel tells Tommy Ellie's immune to the infection and then gives him the details of their journey. And while he's recounting it, we see Ellie wandering down the street looking for Tommy. Uh, Joel says he's not capable of getting Ellie to her destination alive and begs Tommy to take her. Tommy agrees that they'll leave at dawn. He even promises not to tell Maria. And then he points Joel over toward his house and goes back to the movie. Whew, Joel falling apart. The first thing I notice in this scene is when he's like, 
squeezing at his boots with these pliers, he's either got arthritis or just sore hands or something. I mean, that's he's falling apart, man. Panic attacks. He's got bad knees or a back or something. Arthritis. I guess that's 56, huh? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I just threw my back out this weekend at 46. I'm recovering from that. So like, I imagine uh-huh. another 10 years of mileage ain't going to be much better. But yep. uh, this is another good scene. I mean, we've talked about a lot of it already. Um, I will say that um, I was listening to an official podcast. I was really hoping that one of the one of our instant talkers on Sunday night had the theory that Joel referring to these nightmares he has where he feels like he's always losing. He's always failing is a nod to the video game reality in which unless you are some <laughs> master video game player that uh, that I am not you will die many 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 horrible deaths as Joel hmm. uh before you restart at the last spawn point or checkpoint and resume until you fail again and that that's like that this um that the, the homage of that is like Joel psychically aware of the video game self that you know all the times he could have died uh I thought that was such a banger theory and then they never they they don't acknowledge that on the official podcast at all. It's just huh. uh, okay. you know, this was Pedro Pascal's idea. Like I guess he it wasn't improvised, but they talked it on on the set about him. You know, like you you have these dreams where it's like the opposite of like you have that dream where it's like your birthday and you got a new bike and it's so real that you think you got a new bike even though you didn't and you're kind of bummed to wake up. Uh, mm-hmm. He's like, there's like other dreams you can have where you lose something and it feels so real, but you don't remember it. You just wake up with this just feeling of loss. Yeah. And that's something that Joel is waking up with every fucking day. That's a great interpretation, too. But I got to say, I like I like that he's dreaming his alternate Joel death dreams. Sure. He could be doing both. Right. And just waking up because because him dying in those scenes yeah. is him failing. Uh, True. Every time Joel dies, implied Ellie dies shortly shortly after. Yeah. Uh, no, I I really love this scene. There's there's so much, such a powerful scene. This is one of the very few insights we get into Joel. I mean, he doesn't open up with people like this. The fact that he's at the end of his rope, and he's got his brother here allows him to um, be more vulnerable in this moment. And and what really comes through in this entire scene is not how fearful Joel is and how angry he has is at himself, but how much he cares about Ellie. Like, that's the driving force of all this. If he didn't give a shit about Ellie, he wouldn't be having this conversation. He would just be letting her go. He he wouldn't continue this mission, or he'd go along knowing, ah, I might die, but it doesn't really matter that much. He cares about Ellie, and it's not just that Ellie could be the salvation of humanity. I think he's bonded with this girl over the course of the last four months uh, to the point where he cannot bear to think that she would die. Yeah, and I I, I expressed some confusion because I was always confused in the game about, like, why isn't the natural thing is just like, will Joel and Tommy escort Ellie? If not mm-hmm. get a, a posse of people to Tommy trust and stuff, because like this is the most you know potentially the most important person in the whole fucking world. Um, mm-hmm. After I watched this a bunch of times and I listened to the creators talk about it, like when Joel says I can't do this, he's not. He's like uh, if, if 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 a five year old you told a five year old to pick up an engine block and they go up and <laughs> uh-huh. they try to they're just not they just they can't do it. They just can't. They're not physically they're capable. capable. Yeah. 
And something I've appreciated as I've gotten older in life is that we think of strength in terms of physical terms. And like, you mm. know, obviously you wouldn't expect a five-year-old to carry an engine block, even though a very strong man might be able to lift that up, right? Um, with emotional and mental strength and toughness, we just assume that's infinite if you care enough about it, right? Right, right. But I've come to appreciate that like people have limits on that mm-hmm. stuff, just like real physical limitations. And Joel, when he's saying, I can't do this, he literally means it. I, I fucking can't do it. In my present mental state, where I'm having constant pa- panic attacks about fail- failing this girl, I, I I can't do it. It's like asking a five-year-old to move that engine block. It's not about how much he cares, not about how much he loves, not much he, how he doesn't want to disappoint people. It's just like he has a finite capacity and it's been exceeded. Um, and when I think about it in terms like that, it yeah, like clearly it would make more sense, you know, to for them both to take that. Just like it might make sense for the five-year-old to pick up the engine block and do something useful with it, but it's just not going to happen. Yeah, and from Tommy's perspective, if there's someone else to do this, he's not going to, right? I mean, you've got you've got his brother here begging him to take on this responsibility because he can't anymore. Tommy has responsibilities of his own that I think are just as important to him. And the the only reason he's ever going to agree to this is because it's so important to Joel and Joel is incapable of doing it. And so when Joel yeah. comes back the next day and says, I'm giving you the choice and Ellie chooses him, Joel's had time, a little bit of time to process this, right? And this might just be what he needed to get him back on track. Um, I'm sure like he's still on the edge, but maybe not as on the edge as he was before. Uh, and so Tommy's not going to go with him if Joel doesn't absolutely need him to. Yeah, I mean, it's going to If Joel it. is capable of doing this, Tommy will let him do it because he has things that are extremely important to him as well. This, yeah. this and, family he's about to have. And this conversation is the realization Joel's has going to dovetail into the next scene. But before we move on to that, I just want to uh, mention that, like, the one thing I do find inexcusable to this day is mm-hmm. when Joel says, You can't tell anyone, Tommy. I only trust you. Tommy should have absolutely told Maria and probably a couple of his really trusted friends on the council. And then he shows up next morning with like five serious people that yeah. they can be trusted or not. And and like Joel's like I only trust like fuck you Joel like I yeah you only trust me well I don't have that problem I trust a lot of people and mm-hmm. if this isn't important as you say then we're not going to take it a chance we're not going to take a chance on my fucking sub MOA optimized rifle and just my own strong right hand and sharp right eye like we're gonna I I wish that they had done that um, totally yeah it, it doesn't make perfect sense here for Tommy not to tell Maria at least um, but it does fuck up the rest because like how could Ellie say no like if Joel co- right. or Joel comes next morning is like oh, I could t- and like there's it's not just Tommy or Joel but it's like Joel plus Tommy and a bunch of other like then that's it completely transforms the game so at some point you got to kind of accept the logic of this but it does like I don't think there's any rational or they're just not emotionally strong enough to trust type of you know argument it's just no this is yeah and i don't i don't know why joel thinks that no one else could possibly believe that she's immune like they're just gonna shoot her they're gonna see an old scarred up thing on her arm and just blow her head off before they even think about it no no some people would but like i think some people but not these tommy would know to people to trust and i don't think maria would do that Right. Um, and also, I'm not saying this is unrealistic because I know there are dudes out there with their codes of honor that would do this exact same shit. If your brother came up and said, you can't tell anybody, totally. even if you think it's fucking stupid, you're mm-hmm. still going to because that's what you told your brother's going to do. Um, 
And honestly, but Tommy is, and Joel seem annoying. like they could be that way, but you're right. You're right. I'm 100% I'm with you. Oh, no. These guys are peas in a pod, I think. Mm-hmm. You know? And they certainly were. I feel like they're diverging a little bit here because of the damage yeah. to Joel, because of right, the right, experiences right. each of them have had in isolation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but living right. on a commune, post-apocalyptic commune where everybody's getting together and raising kids has got to positively impact your feelings about humanity, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and I like the moment where, you know, Tommy goes back to the movie theater and he chooses not to stand with Maria there because he can't talk. He can't talk right now. He knows that if he starts talking to her, he's going to tell her about Ellie. But, and Marie knows. Maria knows. Oh, she knows something's up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she has a pretty good idea of, of what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and man, I, I just want to say how good this scene is from an acting standpoint, too. I mean, Pedro Pascal has never done better work. I don't know. I, I really loved him in this, this particular scene. Yeah, no, he's he. No, nah, yeah, yeah, I, I, you're right. He nailed it. Like this is just like, the, it's like not... the twinkling of tears in his eyes as he's explaining this to Tommy and the way the light just catches it perfectly and the it's, thing is yeah, yeah like I, I just watched a couple nights ago I was, I'm, I'm watching Better Call Saul and I want to talk about that now but there's a scene where in like the middle parts of season five where they give Jimmy this, this speech where he just goes off and just unloads on somebody and it just goes on and on and like you know uh, 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 God who's the guy that plays Saul Jesus uh, Bob Odenkirk Bob Odenkirk is just 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 sinking his teeth in this he just gets to rage as pure id not as pure raw emotion um, but it's not nearly as impactful as Pedro Pascal with red rimmed you know tear mm-hmm. tear streaked face because like he's this is um, a man who is so closed off and so like just just you can, just through this little crack in the dam you can see how much yep. emotion is behind that and I think that's actually kind of harder to play than someone having like a fucking Royal Shakespeare moment where they're just venting their spleen. Like mm-hmm. the amount of control that you have to be th- this particular dialed in of a performance, I think is like, super impressive. Yeah. No, I loved it. Favorite I wouldn't, I mean, if Joel's just bawling and sobbing and snot running, it, would, it wouldn't play. It would seem false. But this is Joel it losing play his as shit. Well, yeah. This is Joel mm-hmm. at the end. This is what this looks like, you know? Yeah, this is this very strong man, mm-hmm. uh, emotionally closed off man, having that moment where the dam is breaking, but, like, the dam is still there. It's just got a hole in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Joel goes back to the house where he finds Ellie um, and and realizes she's overheard his conversation with Tommy. She's angry and hurt and brings up Sarah, which is a big mistake. And Joel ends up telling her that he's leaving in the morning, leaving her, not going. Uh, Joel goes back to his room and remembers Christmas with Sarah. Boy, this is a hard scene to watch, man. Uh, a lot of it is straight out of the game. This this line about just being more scared uh, is definitely straight out of the game. Uh, Joel. You're not my daughter. I'm sure as hell not your dad. That's another. Because I remember yeah, playing this and just thinking, God. and probably saying out loud even, like, Jesus, Joel. Like, this feels wrong when it's happening to you, mm-hmm. you know? And acting like you're the only one in the world who can feel loss because you lost something precious to you. There are a thousand, there are a million yous out there, Joel. Everyone's right. lost someone. Look at the world. Mm-hmm. It's not your right to be the only person to feel like this. 
it's just that you're so stuck in it that other people you see other people getting past it moving on and you get angry at them um yeah the yeah, the gatekeeping of loss and grief that goes on here is really ah, it's just a bad look for Joel and just the way he turns on Ellie here because he's unable he's unable to talk to her he's unable to explain what's going on in his own head uh it's rough yeah and he's um this is a, I think this is a mistake a lot of parents make with teenagers is to dismiss their emotions as like, you know, when they fall in love, it's like, oh, it's a stupid puppy love. It's this, <laughs> that and the other. And there's uh-huh. some truth to this. Like, you know, 20 years from now, uh, will your 14 year old look at their boyfriend and think, oh, my God, this was the love of my life? Probably not. Pro- in, in context, it'll be like, oh, but like in the moment when you're this is the greatest love that they've ever felt. And when it terminates, it will be the worst their heart has ever been hurt. And you have mm-hmm. to kind of honor that. You can't, you know, maybe it'll be a time later to be like, oh, you know, things will get better and blah, blah, blah. You can't in the moment be like, you're not you don't even know what love is. You know, that's like right. what a lot of people say, you know, um, and it's just uh, Joel's trying to do that. There's also a little bit they mentioned this on the official podcast of when he's like, stop, not another word. It, there's a little bit of pleading like he did with the old man. Mm-hmm. Like, don't. You know, just like Joel knew he would shoot that guy if he had to. Like, I think Joel knows he'll be cruel to Ellie if she comes and attacks him at this vulnerable point. Yeah. And he's like, please don't make me do this. Don't, you know, don't don't mm-hmm. lash out at me. So I'll have to lash out at you. And uh, and it's it, so uh, sad to cap this scene off with him remembering Sarah at Christmas because this is a life he could have. I mean, we've seen Tommy in this horrible world grow into a life like that right now if he were to, able to move on and acknowledge that, yes, this is a terrible thing and he's still sad that he lost Sarah. He could put up a memorial plaque for her, right? But like, you could be having this right now right now you just can't get past it well that's the greatest i think that's one of the best lines in the episode where tom you know they're talking about the way they used to live and how they used to get by and murder and raiding and all that kind of stuff and tommy says you know there are better ways to live joel we just weren't any good at it mm-hmm. um and why weren't they good at it what did they you know they obviously have an abundance of this type of physical strength did they not have the emotional strength that they could not t- I, I don't know there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there, but I thought that's just a great line that, you know, we, you know, we, we are fooling ourselves by saying we did the things we had to because look at me now and Mm -hmm. I don't have to. Yeah. But yeah. Also they kill people. They do kill the wrong people that come into this community. They don't let them go in and vote, (laughs) you know, to fuck up the, so like they're, you still murder people, Tommy, but, but maybe not just to put food in your belly. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that's also that's a great that's such a funny thing where they say you know that they they make examples out of the wrong sort of people but then later in the episode maria is giving a tour in the town she talks about how the old bank is a jail but we don't we it's empty there's nothing we don't have anybody in it mm-hmm. maybe you lock up the dangerous people you're not sure about <laughs> For, instead, <laughs> instead of just of killing him. instead of just killing them maybe i don't know yeah i, I can't tell because tommy calls it like he describes these people as the people who've tried them. And to me, that means like they've come in, they've attacked them specifically tried to like harm them, not just shown up and not fit into the community. Right. So maybe it's something where, well, if they're trying to kill us, we have to kill them to stop them. But look, 
I would love to go into the civics and politics of this place, but if we do, right. it's going to be a, another two hour yeah. long, over two hour long podcast. Uh, well, then let's move on. Because I did, I do also wonder, like, what if someone decides they have a, they have, they, they, they can't, they, they have a breach in this community where there's just lot loggerheads and like one family just wants to move. Okay, fuck it, you do whatever you. We're gonna. Did they let them leave? Right, because they don't let them use the radio. Right. So. I would love to see like what what kind of, yeah how does a society how would this society deal with like uh, you know it's essentially a civil war people want to mm-hmm. leave the union you can't it's against the law you can't do that yeah we'll throw well, you in jail we'll see <laughs> anyway, if we come back again. to this but I don't know yeah. Tommy's still there so we could yeah and I'm not saying that's even a bad thing to do in this particular world it's just yeah I'd love to see that shit get explored tough decisions. All right, the next day, Tommy takes Ellie to the stables to get some horses. They find Joel there. He's apparently decided to give Ellie the choice to go with him or Tommy. Ellie immediately chooses Joel. Tommy says, you guys have a place here in Jackson when you get back. And Joel borrows Tommy's gun, and they say goodbye. When Tommy came to knock on Ellie's door, did that make him a Tommy knocker? Oh, my God. Here, Here's... <laughs> Shame on you. Secondly... Tommy gave Joel his gun. Does that make it a Tommy gun? I did 100%. (laughs) He's a Tommy knocker wielding a Tommy gun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's your quota for puns this week. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, when we go to the ad, make every shot count. We'll be back with more of Savage Starlight. We're not the cure for mankind, but we have your favorite podcast. Here's more of Savage Starlight. Uh, anyway, I love this scene. Um, Joel, the, the way Joel describes his journey, his emotional journey in this scene, like he came here to steal a horse. He's been standing around for 30 minutes, probably like saddling it up, probably wondering if he's making a mistake. Uh, 30 minutes later, here he still is. So you got a choice. And this, yeah, like he could have gotten out of there before 30 minutes, but he's been stalling mm-hmm. for time. And also there's this subtle grammatical shift where Joel came out to steal a horse. But then he asks Tommy, I, I or, or no, Tommy tells him there's a place for you here. And he says, I'm counting for, uh, I'm, I'm counting on it. And then Joel says, can I borrow your gun? Mm-hmm. Like I'm stealing implies you're never coming back. Borrowing yeah. is a promise. I'm going to be back. And that, that shift happens after Tommy says, there's a place for you here. I thought that was a really nice touch. Mm-hmm. And also we haven't been, cause like this is something I gushed about on the instant take, but like my God, the scenery in this episode, this whole thing takes place like this, the stable against this dramatic mountain backdrop where there's like snow kind of obscuring it. Like I, God damn, this is a beautiful part of Canada that they're filming in. The Canadian, oh, yeah. with the with the Canadian Rockies is always in the background. Oh my god, incredible! Uh, the other thing about this gun is this is, I, I think Tommy describes this as the gun that he probably had in the first episode, right? I mean, this is yeah. the gun that they were u- he was wielding when they were fleeing. The gun he used 700. to kill the soldier mm-hmm. uh, who shot Sarah. Yeah, so I like the full circle moment there. All right, let's go over to Joel and Ellie. They leave. They He tries to teach her how to shoot, but she has a lot to learn. They continue writing as Ellie asks questions about ownership in the old world, contractors, football. 
Uh, and then within five days, they arrive at the University of East Colorado. It's a lot of great moments here, you know, like Joel putting around right on the target. It's like one of those things where mm-hmm. it's it's feels it feels good to be a superhero to your kids. You know, like every once in a while when you can do, you know, when your kid's struggling with something and, and you can nail it or, you know, they mentioned this in a podcast. It's like it's, it's it feels good to be the dad. But also as a kid, when you see your your mom or dad do something super heroic, it reinforces that you're safe with them. Like you're with mm-hmm. a competent series. So it's like every, every, everyone loves it. Uh, I, I thought that was funny. The look on Pedro Pascal's face. When he's like, yeah, we were pretty cool. Everybody loved contractors. And the way she kind of melted into his back at the end of that scene, like she just kind of like, you know, leans up against him. And it kind of brings tears to my eyes because it's just such a great way to show the fundamental shift that's happened in their relationship post Jackson. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and like, it's she, like, I love Ellie when she calls him on his badass you know, dialogue where he's like, oh, what is Tommy didn't know what he's talking about. We had five easy days, no problems. There's still time to find out. Oh, the contractor. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah, he's almost given himself a superhero name. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you're saying. He's John Wick. Yep. He's revising history and building walls. Uh, so then they search the campus for fireflies while chatting about more stuff about school, Joel's real wish for his future, which is to be a singer. Um, they see monkeys. They spot a firefly symbol pointing them to the biomedical sciences building. So that's where they head. Do you want to talk about anything here? No notes. All right. Let's get to the final scene. They get in the biomedical building. They find it abandoned. And then they hear a sound. They go up to investigate. It's just monkeys. They see a map that seems to indicate the fireflies might have gone to Salt Lake City. And then outside, they hear people talking, and they spot four guys with bats prowling around. They go out the back to get to their horse. Uh, Joel gets attacked and injured, but they manage to get on the horse and ride off. And once they get clear, Joel passes out and falls off his horse, and the episode ends with Ellie pleading for him to wake up. Yeah, I, I, you know, there's not much to talk about here either. I like, you know, they're they're inferring all this stuff. They find the packing list, like people are getting packed up upstairs. They find a series of push pins and a map that converges to one central spot that implies a destination. So that's where we're going to be heading. And just like in a video game, just when you think, you know, they did, they did, they baited the jump scare with the monkey that turned out to be not a clicker, but just a monkey. And then they go down and just when you think everything is in the clear and about to get off, uh, this guy comes running with the club. Uh, and just when you think it's safe there, turns out Mm -hmm. he he broke that baseball. But, and I, I, I went, I'm like, when did he get stabbed? Me too. Yep. But like it's beautiful because that guy had the remains of the broken handle in his hands when Joel goes to tackle him and his mm-hmm. hands as Joel tackles him are right in a position to jab that broken handle right where it was at. Yeah. And it's and like Joel doesn't you, even notice it, right? Joel's like he's so, so jacked with adrenaline, he's so in fight mode, he kills the guy and then realizes it. <laughs> yeah, and then he pulls it out, which like I said in the instant take is the worst thing. Like if you ever get if you get ever punctured, if your body ever gets punctured or something, leave it there until you get to the professionals because I don't know. I saw this one, the video where like an ER doctor took like a Ziploc bag full of like red liquid and he stabbed a kitchen knife into it and like absolutely nothing came out. 
as soon as you take it out, like it starts stuff that's pouring. You put the knife back in, it stops. Like, hmm. not not the crib from Star Trek: The Next Generation, but we are <laughs> bags of carbon bags, mostly full of water. <laughs> and this and the science, it's science works. If you got something stuck in there, don't pull it out because it might be keeping you from gushing blood. Yeah. Joel, there is no one to help, so uh, right. He pulls it out. Gonna ride and, five days with a bat in your guts. Yeah, and uh, it's bad. Like he immediately starts bleeding. Bar- they barely get out of there on horseback, and then there's that great shot of him, you know, on the on on the the tra- the train tracks. Uh, finally, you know, again losing his physical strength and just falling off. And three times previous to this episode. Elias said, if you die, I'm pretty much boned. And mm-hmm. now you see that not just the terror, but she's so scared, but also the sense of loss. Like it's not not just losing your protector, but you're losing a person you deeply care about at this point. Yeah. No, it's it's super sad. Uh, I also think about it from Joel's perspective, you know, as he's fading out here. <laughs> what's going through his head i failed again right i failed for the final time yeah, yeah. he's having fucking nightmares as he's lazier dying it's yeah yeah fuck man yeah it's terrible and that's the thing it's like here's again it's like we, everyone understands losing like no you know joel can't open his eyes at the end uh and he's passing out and blood loss no one would, no one would pass him and be like what well, fucking pussy if he wanted to get up he could he, he <laughs> right if he, just, if he just wanted to, he just fucking just get man up, dude. But, come on. But yeah, you have a series of panic attacks. Like fucking pussy, you just need to, you need to, you need to push through, man. Right, right. Uh, also, great video uh-huh. game nod. Joel breaks a motherfucker's neck. He do does. You, do you know how many necks I've broken? The Last of Us. It's my preferred. It's my preferred method. You sneak <laughs> up, you grab them. They struggle. Snap. You don't use. You don't use any bullets. You True. don't use any shivs. You just they just they just they just go. They just, the light switch turns off. It's, it's mm-hmm. great. It's a beautiful thing. Got the time. Why not? All right. Uh, that's the end of the episode. I really want to talk some some spoiler stuff. Okay. If you've got oh. the time. So I I recognize this as uh, the cover Depeche Mode's Never Let Me Down Again at the end of the song. Oh, okay. But like I I was like, well, this is an interesting cover. I've never heard it before. I grab my trusty Shazam. It listened to it like two or three times and it failed. I'm like, what the fuck? That like, oh, ne- oh, I can think of one time that Shazam has ever failed me. It's been some weird fucking cultural folk festival I went to. <laughs> um, this is Neil Druckmann's 18 year old daughter covering oh. Depeche Mode. Never let me down again. And the nice. lyrics like, this is a song about abusing drugs. Um, mm. But the lyrics of it, I'm going I'm going on a ride with my best friend. I hope he doesn't let me down again. Um, it's such it, it it ties so well to the theme and having you know again Neil Druckmann's daughter singing it. I thought was super poignant. Isn't this the same song that episode one ended with? Did it? I want to say that's true. They I did actually, did, exactly. they, but they did the Depeche Mode version, right? Right, right. It was not this cover version, but same song. Is that the way? Is that is that how? Is that is that what they played for the danger music? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah. Good catch. Apparently that's true. Yeah, I can't remember like that was six the weeks emotional. Ago, <laughs> it was. I can't remember the emotional beat that the first one is ending on. It's more. 
it's it's, it's a more danger like implied it's, danger yeah but like, not the, like immediate yeah danger it was like, like this it's is. an 80s pop song that means danger not that it has uh-huh. but now wow wow danger that's, a, gr- that's a fucking that's a fucking great choice and a great way to cover it because it just adds so much more layers to it especially from it now being from the perspective almost with an 18 year old girl covering this almost mm-hmm. from the perspective of like ellie right it's 100 percent. yeah Whew. it's good stuff all right i just about said it that's it but there's i forgot we have a spore lore section is this a spore lore or a super spore lore it's just probably uh, spore lore i think it's just spore lore so if you have played the last of us or you don't mind uh spoilers from the last of us uh you can you're you're free to to come along to this section with us um but uh otherwise this will probably be the end of the episode for you uh if you'd like to send us feedback we'll be doing a feedback episode on thursday tlou t-l-o-u at baldmove.com is how you send that in follow along with everything that we're releasing on twitter twitter.com slash baldmove if you want to stay abreast with the latest baldmove stuff and if you want to get uh get rid of the ads the annoying ads that play during our episodes and watch uh, get get the exclusive bonus audio content like our instant talk episodes that we record live right after the episode airs each sunday night go to support.baldmove.com we could really use your support we really appreciate it uh okay there's gonna be a little bit more in the spore lore edition but i do recommend everyone that has not played the first game get get the hell out get the hell out while you still can mm-hmm. all right yeah we're all about right, to talk about zoo animals i think we've lost our tail jim i think we're i think we're good i think we're good we're good to go we could talk now all right cool uh they got they got the monkeys in there they didn't get the giraffes wait a second wait a second mm-hmm. the giraffes are in this scene because i thought that happened no in denver uh, no i because these, I thought that the research monkeys were from the were from the research. The the others are from the zoo, right? I could have sworn it happened here. You might be right. You might be right. Okay, man, if they don't fucking do the drafts, I know. That, well, that's that, why I, I mean, was it's so not. Mad. It's not like I'm going to riot because it's not like that makes um, or breaks obviously. the fucking game. But it would be like if they do ah shit. It would be like if they tried to adapt the second one without paying homage to some of. Ellie's interests. Okay. Yes, I know what you. I know what you mean. Without yeah saying anything. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe it's, it's, maybe it's not this part of the thing. So this so there are I, two like big plot points coming up that they they're gonna have to stretch a little bit. I think uh, f- stretch the plot out for three more episodes. I, I'm looking at this. I'm going. Well, the next episode is obvious. What that's gonna be. Yeah. Um, although I saw like previous next time on stuff, and it looks like we're going to explore a little bit of Ellie's past, which I'm excited for. Um, but yeah, the they, they next plot point, which is just Ellie trying to protect Joel here, um, that stuff, and then the stuff at like the very end of the game with the fireflies are like the two plot points we have left. But we got three episodes you, left. Let me ask you this. Did when when Ellie gets up at dawn, doesn't she run off? Doesn't she run away in the video game? She does. Yeah, I'm glad they skipped that here. Well, yes, I think it's fine the way they did it. But like, does it so it doesn't Ellie get injured in the process? Because I, I, I remember I thinking think that so. the point because there's a point where Joel finds Ellie injured and it's like, oh, Ellie girl, 
and fusses over her. And that's the point in the game. You realize that he has, you know, he, he, he loves her like Sarah. Does he find her injured? Because I, I remember a mad dash to find her. Like Tom, him and Tommy jump on horses okay. and ride as fast as they can to go like, find it, her. Because Joel's in a blind panic about her getting herself hurt. So, but I, I thought I remembered there was a scene at the end where he's like cradling her in her arms and like fussing over her, and you realize like, oh my god, it's it's happened. You know, he's oh yeah. He's there's a whole sequence where you play as Ellie, right? And like these people are hunting you. Well, that's in, in the next. I think that's going to be in the next chapter. Well, there are two parts to that, I think, because I think Joel gets injured there. Hmm. Because right in the game, he falls and gets stabbed. Like he like 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 it's uh, the old rebar through the guts in the game, right? Yeah. Well, I can't remember exactly. I'm sure this is thrilling for people who've played the game and know it extremely well. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I think Ellie has the the hunter, not hunters, but. You know what I mean? People that are stalking uh-huh. her in this cabin, uh-huh. she's holed up there and Joel comes in and saves her from that and gets injured in the process. And then we have the stuff that we're about to get into. I think mm, maybe I did think when, did you think that when they, we saw the guy stomping up in the cabin with the bow, that that was Joel when the episode first started, I'm like, did they hold up in a cabin in the winter? I was trying to think of like how oh, yeah, yeah. all that stuff happened, but you know, it turned out to be Graham green, of course, but I was, because it's been about 18 months since I played the game last. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only been about a month. Eh, I don't know what two, the fuck your excuse is, I but I, I don't have one. Bad brain? I don't know. <laughs> Bad brains. <laughs> no memory? It's got, you got donkey brains. I got, they, I got they the donkey brains. And, Here's one thing study. I do vividly remember is how hard it was to imagine that Joel would survive his injury in the game mm. as well. It seems really hard to imagine he's going to survive here in the show. Man, I tell you, the, the, but she finds antibiotics in the game, right? Or she trades, she barters for it. I think so. But the the rate at which he's bleeding out, just like the rate at which he passed out here, I, yeah. there's no help around. It really feels like, yeah. Well, before, I mean, before we invented antibiotics, like any kind of wound to the torso, like penetrating wound to the gut or thorax was almost universally fatal just from the infection of it. But like if you can get like if you can if you if you can oh. stop the bleeding and you can get penicillin into this guy, then most people will live, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No. Now now I'm remembering. Yeah, you're right. She she tries to trade with these guys for medicine. Uh, so they they get in trouble. Her. And Joel. J- yeah. Joel at some point will wake up. But like later yeah, there's after a, that, there's a yeah, yeah, yeah. So I uh, I'm very I'm very excited. I think um, the parts where you solo as Ellie are some of the best parts of the game. Some of the most impactful, mm-hmm. some of the scariest shit. And yeah. I'm that really diner excited. Restaurant yeah, fight I'm, scene is real good. I'm really excited to see how they handle that. That whole whiteout, you know, uh-huh. like there's remember that Fargo season one where they did the and we talked about how that's so much yep. like The Last of Us, but you got this phenomenon where like it's like real life cloaking device you can't see a person 10 15 feet in front of you and vice versa it's so Mm -hmm. so fucking atmospheric we need a brief super spoiler too oh there's one thing we have to talk about because it's they're laying groundwork for it defcon 5 we have a super spore lore has been declared you have five seconds to flee the area four <laughs> three two one the blast doors have closed all right we're con- we're contained within the super spore lore section jim 
I assume the girl Sally that's, fucking ride. No, I assume the girl that's oh. staring at Ellie during the scene where oh, they're eating shit. is Dina, right? I didn't even think about that, Gotta like be. making that early a connection. I mean, why else put that in there? There, there, there has to be. I was just, just, just it, it, it was the it was the contrast between how polite Joel is being because he's got social graces and Ellie and but but yeah no I think you you're probably right you're probably right yeah that's my assumption uh, yeah yeah just this lay in that track so that when well, now, Ellie now, now, does but, come back you know she'll have some someone it, it, it won't be like totally out of the blue and she won't have to like totally start fresh here. But yeah, they don't do much with it. I, I was surprised there wasn't a little bit more, honestly, if they were going to do anything at all. Uh, well, now that we're here in a super spoiler, I am going to talk about Sally fucking ride. Um, oh yeah, that that sequence is every, good. Everybody talks about the giraffe sequence, which uh-huh. is fair enough. But I think the sequence in the museum, yep, is giraffe times ten for me. When she like gets that, into the capsule, yeah, that's and Joel that's so has. Good. Like Joel has done this as a birthday present for her, knowing how much she likes space and has prepared this thing where she can listen to the Apollo 13 lift off while she sits in the capsule, while she's wearing an authentic helmet because they just Mm -hmm. smashed a case that has all this stuff. And (laughs) the game just lets you look at Ellie's face for like a minute close zoomed up as she's having this intense experience. And it's my Mm -hmm. it's my hands down my favorite moment in video game ever. It's Uh, great. So, yeah. If they don't do the giraffes, they'll start to be afraid that they're not going to do the space, the Ellie Spaceman routine. And if they do that, then yeah. it's all for naught. It's all for fucking naught. If you can't yeah, get that, why one did in. we make the show? Yeah, yeah. And why are we talking about Sally fucking ride if you're not going to build mm-hmm. my hopes up to? Why would you show the giraffe plush assholes if you're not going to do the giraffe scene? <laughs> all right, there's some stakes. There's some stakes, Neil, Craig. You got to deliver. True. Anyway, that's all, right. all I got. Uh, just couldn't not mention that stuff. Uh, well, said it once, say it again. Tlou at baldmove.com. T L O U. Uh, if you want to make commercials go away and help us keep making podcasts, support.baldmove.com. Uh, if you want to know what we're doing on a week to week, day to day basis, uh, other stuff you might be interested in, because there's a ton of stuff. It's a ton of stuff. Doing Mandalorian starting next week. Uh, a couple weeks away from Yellow Jackets. We're in the middle of Picard. Full, mm-hmm. fully engaged with Picard season three. If you're if you're into that space shit, if you if you like Sally fucking ride, uh, check that out. Twitter.com slash bald move. We will see you Tuesday for the feedback episode. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.